Welcome to Catalytic Leadership, the podcast designed to help leaders intentionally grow and thrive. Here is your host, author and leadership and executive coach, Dr. William Attaway. Hey, it's William, and welcome to today's episode of the Catalytic Leadership Podcast. Each week, we tackle a topic related to the field of leadership. My goal is to ensure that you have actionable steps you can take from each episode to grow in your own leadership. I believe, like Craig Rochelle has said many times, that when a leader gets better, everybody benefits. Your team, your department, your customers, your clients, your spouse, your kids, everybody. Each week, we spotlight leaders from a variety of fields, locations, and organizations. My goal is for you to see that leaders can be catalytic no matter where they are or what they lead. I draw inspiration from the stories and journeys of these leaders, and I hear from many of you that you do too. Let's jump in to today's interview. It is such an honor today to have Julian Chapman on the podcast. Julian has over three decades of experience engaging teams and organizations from small groups to thousands of employees, building their leadership capability. His leadership knowledge is augmented by his 30-plus year second career as a member of the Canadian Armed Forces, from which he retired in 2014 at the rank of Brigadier General. He joined Forest and Company in 2002, taking over as president of the company in 2015. Known as a pioneer of thinking in the workplace, Julian helps teams solve problems through effective thinking. His thoughts on leadership, organizational development, and accountability have been published in HR Reporter Magazine, CPA Bottom Line Newspaper, and HR Professional Magazine. Julian holds a BA from the University of Toronto and is a graduate of the Canadian Army Command and Staff College, the Canadian Forces College, and is also an alumnus of the U.S. Army War College. He lives in Toronto and is married to Wendy, with whom he has four children. Julian, thank you so much for being on the show today. William, it's truly an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. I would love for you to share some of your story with our listeners. I mean, just from your bio, that is a very wide swath of experience. I'd love to hear about your journey and your development as a leader. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting you refer to it as a journey, William, and, I, and it very much is. Uh, you know, life is a journey. And uh, my my early days in uh, in leadership uh, started off when I was a brash young private soldier in the army, and and looked at the, some of the leaders around me and said, "Oh, I can do better than this." You know that <laughs> brash kind of thing. And of course, uh, I learned in that journey that it wasn't so easy, and that uh, and that maybe I would screw up a lot. So, uh, so that's uh, that's the essence of my journey. Is it's, it's just been it's been being buffeted by all the effects of day to day life and uh, and the journey that one ends up on, and that it's an ongoing journey. It's not mm. a one and done thing. And that's that's one of the important pieces that everyone has to take away is, is that mm. you don't just take a course and boom, presto, <laughs> you've got the magic decoder ring that that helps you to coach or whatever. <laughs> it's an ongoing practice. That's brilliant. You know, you've seen leaders in so many different contexts. I mean, from that young, brash, private to being a brigadier general, right? A president of a company. I mean, a leader in so many different ways. How would you define leadership? 
You know, it's it's interesting that uh, that you mentioned that, William, because one of the things that I, I think we have to do is we have to recognize what type of leadership we're talking about. Because mm. quite often, and I and I, you know, in my experience in the military, it was always about being a leader. Mm-hmm. And you had to be a leader. I only wish we'd been a little bit more specific about what we actually meant by that. Because what in effect was happening, and one of the things that I recognized in my leadership journey and the learnings and the training that I went on, was that I wasn't actually learning that much about leadership. I was learning a lot about management. Ah. And and one of the things that I think we have to do is we have to get rid of the notion that leadership is the all and management is evil yeah that it's that it's actually the two of them coming together mm. it's about management and leadership have to come together yeah. and it's about the tension between task and people mm. so getting the task done whilst having a positive impact on people is what managerial leadership is all about the, the word leader gets used in so many different contexts you know yeah. this this person is a great golfer so they're a leader in their field or whatever well what do we really mean and it really is about having that positive impact on people mm. and and i i suggest that that the 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 core of what leadership is about is what i refer to what i personally refer to as as enlightened leadership because i think it's really important in this day and age mm-hmm. but it's about being authentic mm. having an understanding of who you truly are yeah. and what is truly important to you and living that real self not someone else's self not picking up a book and leading out of somebody's book that says you know you have to do this you have to do that because i was successful doing this it has to come from in here and that requires reflection and reflection mm-hmm. is a critical piece uh, one of the things that my military career taught me on top of that authentic leadership because i wasn't necessarily authentic <laughs> as a brash young you know 19 year old platoon commander but was servant leadership that mm-hmm. our success, particularly in managerial leadership, comes from others. Yeah. So we have to be servant and caring for them and enabling them. As I say, the golden rule of servant leadership is know your people and promote their welfare. Mm-hmm. I love that. And then the third element, and I think it ties well with, uh, with what you're doing with catalytic leadership, is you have to be transformational. Yeah. It's yeah. about helping to grow people all the time. So just as one is on a journey, Mm -hmm. as a leader, you're helping people along in that journey. You're transforming them. Because it's funny, in in business in particular, and I I think business, well, just about everywhere, everyone thinks that somewhere is the unicorn employee or the (laughs) unicorn out there who is absolutely perfectly formed and can do you know, it can do everything that we ever needed them to do. And we just have to find that person. And that's not the case. That is not the case. And so our job is to transform our people whilst promoting their welfare and knowing them well, whilst being true to ourselves. And, and so those are the three elements of what I refer to as enlightened leadership. So that authentic servant and transformational aspect. And it, that's that's the essence of the leadership side, the people side. Mm-hmm. But on the task side, on the management, an engaged manager has to be able to define the work, 
has to be able to get the resources for the people and has to be able to help them in delivering the work that they have to do. That's how you add value as a manager. But defining the work is a lot of work. And we have to balance that. And, you know, just to just to build on this and, and I'm sort of going on a little bit here, but often what I find is, is that we get caught in our technocratic background yeah. and we don't realize that when we are leading people, when we're in a managerial leadership role, our work has changed. Mm. It's no longer about our technical skill as a finance person, a human resources person, a you name it person. It's actually about my job is now to be a managerial leader and to lead those people. You know, Julian, I love that model, the enlightened leader and the engaged manager. I think that that's absolutely brilliant. One of the one of the things that I will often talk with leaders about is the importance of knowing your own wiring, you know, how you are designed, how you are wired. And that plays right into the authentic leadership that you're talking about. So often when we begin in leadership, we begin by copying leaders that we admire or respect, you know, either from from personal experience or from afar. And that's normal at the beginning as we're developing and kind of getting our sea legs, so to speak. But if you continue down that road and don't learn your own wiring, I think you just become a bad copy of a great leader and you never lean into your own skill set. I, I think you're absolutely correct, and and it's and it does require that reflection. Uh, in our executive coaching practice, one of the things that we help people to understand is what are the threads that are holding me to my belief system, mm. and understanding what those threads are, sort of reflecting on them. So, I want to be a vice yeah. president. Why yeah. do you want to be a vice president? Yeah. What is that thread that is tying you to this this Good. title, for example? That's good. And helping people to understand that I either cut that thread, mm-hmm. no longer of value to me, because yeah. I really understand where it's coming from, or I strengthen it. You know, I mm. tie another another thread around it, and I, and I make sure that it's gonna it's gonna hold for me. Mm. And and that's really important. That's part of that reflection piece that that so often we don't do. And the other is, and I've seen it time and time again. I'm in a role. I think I need to be this. Now, there is an aspect here, and there's an, a unique tension here between I'm in this role, and it's not about me, it's about the role, and that I also have to be about me. So yeah. there's a unique tension that people have to be able to balance. Mm-hmm. And, and I say that because so often managers get into roles that, and when I say managers, small end managers, but they get into roles and they're awkward and they're uncomfortable about it. I don't really want to tell people what to do. And yeah. but you're being paid to do that. Right. So you have to live that role. <laughs> That's right. right. So, but then balancing being truly authentic and not being, you know, well, because you know, I'm I'm at the I'm in the boardroom now, so I have to be tough and you know, all these sort of things. Somehow I'm just no longer myself. In your book, you talk about these things. And I'd love to talk about your book for a minute, The Managerial Leadership Journey, An Unconventional Business Pursuit. And the tagline really caught my eye. The last business book you'll ever read. I mean, that's that's bold. I would love to dig into this a little bit and, and talk about this. You talk in your book, particularly around that, that leaders really need a way to manage the journey, right? 
Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like, how does a leader learn to manage their journey? Well, it, 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 it does come back to reflection. And, and so often I spend time with executives and, and I find that they have no time for reflection, which means that they're just going, 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 as I refer to it, the tyranny of do, right? Don't think about things, just do, just go and do. And, and the further up you go, the more important it is for you to actually be thinking uh, rather than just doing. Very few people, you know, down and down where the execution occurs, that's where the do occurs. Yeah. You need we need people that are thinking. So so the 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 point around this is is that that people need to pause and really reflect. And that journey is a journey of reflection. Mm. In my book, at the end of each chapter, I have a series of questions mm. that are for leaders to be able to ask themselves. Because when you ask someone a question, you force them to think. Hmm. Yeah. It, and, it, and it's absolutely critical. And, and as a sidebar to that, just for a moment, one of the real tricks of being a great leader is asking great questions. Hmm. Not telling, but asking great questions. So true. Let them work through it and think through it. So that's why there are those questions at each at the end of each chapter to get leaders to think. Mm-hmm. And if, if people go to our the, the website for the book, they can download the questions. It'd be much better oh, if you bought the book, but that's beside <laughs> the point. But they, the questions are available there. And and one of the one of the aspects around uh, around the book is is that I've written the book specifically for managers of managers or leaders of leaders. Mm. Mm. Because there are lots of books out there about how to manage your team, how to lead your team. Yeah. This is what is it that leaders need to do and that the leaders of those leaders are the ones that actually have to enable them and help them to do it. Mm. And we, and it, and it's uh, it, it's it's unusual in that sense because there aren't a lot of books around this aspect. So in, in most organizations, that's kind of the director level of an organization is that first line where I'm now I'm in a role where I'm not managing execution. Now I'm managing the managers who will ensure the execution, and and that there's a very different approach from that standpoint. And it. And back to your the original part of your question, it is a bit of an obnoxious boast that it's the last business book you'll ever read. <laughs> but the point is, is it's not about boasting about the book. It's about it's about common sense. Yeah, it's just about getting back to the basics, not swinging over and you know we're the flavor of the month over here or the flavor of yes. the month over there. It's that we're getting back to the basics. Hmm. That's why I suggest it's the last business book you'll ever read, because you start to develop the journey inside yourself, not through someone else's, some, you know, some hero, CEO, or whatever the case may be. Hmm. You know, common sense is not so common. Exactly. I heard it said one time that common sense is not a flower that is planted in every garden. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. I like that. I think I think that that what you're sharing is so incredibly practical and so incredibly helpful, particularly in the season that we're coming out of, coming out of COVID and coming into this new reality, this new normal everybody calls. You know, everybody's busier than ever. 
at work and in all parts of their lives, no matter what you do. It doesn't matter what your career is or your job is. On the other hand, everybody feels disconnected. Yes. There, there is a, a real sense of disconnection from, from other team members, from, from your organization's real main goals. Why do you think that is? Um, well, I, I think I think it's the physicality. Mm. Such a word, mm-hmm. uh, you yeah. know. It's the, it's the nature of we. Uh, on, what was it? March thirteenth uh, of March, twenty twenty. Yeah, another day in infamy, I suppose. <laughs> True. Um, and suddenly we're ejected from our workplaces and we're sent home. In some cases furloughed. Nobody knew the term furloughed before uh, <laughs> yeah. COVID hit, but you know, and 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 so we were we were sort of isolated, and we were isolated with our families and and the likes. But human beings actually need to be around other human beings, yeah. Yeah. and and so the isolation continued. And um, as my business partner Tony Walsh said, and I and I think he put it really well in COVID. Not everything changed, but everyone did. Mm. Oh, that's good. And and it's it's really an important piece to take into account, particularly if you're in a managerial leadership role. Is is that the employees that were there on um, on the on the first of March, 2020, are not the same employees as they are right yeah. now. That's their true. attitudes, their values, all those things have changed in some form or another, in mm. some extremes. I've moved out to the country and I'm, you know, I'm far away mm-hmm. from the city and, you know, I'm staying away from all those people yeah. to uh, I've, I, you know, quite simply, uh, I, don't, I don't like coming into the office because I'm worried about, uh, about catching something. Mm-hmm. And the media is not helping anybody. Right. No. So it's just reinforcing, reinforcing yeah. the fear factor yeah. uh, that, that happens. And this is why thinking is so critical because we need to be mm. making true risk assessments. Mm. We always have to be making risk assessments and assessing, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? What's the probability and what's the severity of that? And not just taking things on face value. And we're making a call and it's coming from inside of us. It's a call that we've got to make because we're most comfortable with it, but we need to pause and think about those things. And, and so we are in an age, a very different age. Uh, one of the reasons why I, we, I coined the term the enlightened leader is, mm-hmm. is that it was beginning to happen before COVID, but mm-hmm. it certainly became suddenly employees mm-hmm. became very important during COVID. That's good. And but if the employees become important, they need to be cared for. So mm-hmm. we need that enlightened leader to be able to care for them and to properly manage them, to properly define the work. There are so many people, yeah. you know, the, the, the other phrase that, uh, that came out of COVID, uh, as, uh, as one of our clients said, I used to say I was working from home. Now I'm sleeping at the office. Right? <laughs> That's, so, good. That's good. So, so the point being that, that we need to get very good at our management skills about setting context, setting priorities. Mm. Priorities is one of the big gaps. Again, it ties back to risk. We don't set priorities because if we set that as a priority, Mm. well, what about the others? Well, we have to get really good at setting priorities. Otherwise, everything's a priority Mm. and people get buried. That's right. 
And one of the things that I talk about in the book is I talk about the difference between accountability and responsibility. Mm. So, and, and it's a slightly different, it's a variation on what others say. In fact, I think in a lot of cases, they just turn the words around, but account, holding someone to account is mm-hmm. the premise of accountability. Mm-hmm. Responsibility is actually a personal feeling of obligation. I feel responsible. Mm-hmm. And all too often, if managers don't define what people are accountable for, mm-hmm. people are running out of their sense of responsibility. They're doing the same old stuff that they've always done. They're, they're, they think they need to do this. They think they need to get involved in someone else's work, which now yeah. leads to issues of trust and all of these sort of things. And then in the, in, the, in the blackness of being at home, for example, during COVID, people were really working out of a sense of responsibility. Yeah. And that sense of responsibility meant that they were overworking too. Mm. They were working late hours and they, mm. they felt they had to demonstrate value for their yeah. employer. Yeah. And that was, again, an example of where managers didn't actually do a really great job uh, by mm. letting their employees work like that. So, so that, that's, that's the change, a rather long-winded approach. That, uh, but that's the change that I, I think we've, we've seen coming through COVID. Who knows what's on the other side? <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This was supposed to be the Roaring Twenties. It's right. roaring in some form or another. <laughs> We're all roaring, no doubt. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. I, as as I'm as I'm listening to you talk about this, I think about the importance that that leaders have and managers have in in this model of defining the win, not just for the for the team or the company, but for the individual team members so that they know, okay, this is the center of the bullseye. This is what I need to do. And the only way to define the win is to define what the win is not. Mm. Interesting. I'm yeah, curious I, I, about that. Like, what do you think about that? I, I think that there there is an element of that. I think one of the things that, uh, that I see a lot of is, is that managers, managerial leaders will say, uh, will often describe not what the win is, but how to get the win. <laughs> That's good. And that becomes micromanagement. Sure. And I feel, you know, sure. It's be a copy of me. Right, right. right. <laughs> just a carbon copy. If I guess there's probably a generation that doesn't know what a carbon copy is. But anyway, <laughs> um, so, so, but the point is, is that we don't define the end state. Yeah. We spend too much time trying to describe how to get somewhere. Yeah, and uh, and 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 that starts right at the top of the organization with the nature of strategy. So I'm mm. sort of pulling us up and looking at mm. it holistically for a moment. That we don't define the end state of where the organization. What does the organization want to be when it grows up? Yes. Instead, we strategy has become synonymous with planning mm. about where are we now and where are we going. Mm. No, it's about defining what is the end state so that people can be engaged and can use their judgment and discretion and be truly engaged behind this journey that the organization is going to go on. But they can't get there if they don't know where they're going. Yeah, it's true. Until you define the win, how could you possibly hit it? So so I would say that, that, 
defining the win is important. And, and, and you're right in a sense, because, you know, back to strategy, what are we not? Right. Because all too often, we don't really define what we are, mm. and nor do we define what we're not yeah. in that process. And so we believe that we're all sorts of different things. Mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. am I am I just a, a an organization that that is is about creating money for the shareholder, or am I about creating magnificent things for the customer? I mean, those are those are two elements of yeah. of what strategy are about. Mm-hmm. And neither one of them is right, right or wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just you have to make the choice. Right. If you try to hit everything, you'll you'll hit nothing. Exactly. And that that's back to our risk thing. Well, we'll keep it up in the air. We'll keep it, you know, keep all these things open. Now at some point, you actually have to make the call and make the decision and make the choose the one thing and reject the others. Mm, that's good. You know, you've got over three decades of experience engaging teams and organizations. From from small size to thousands of of people on a team, but that's not your only experience. We we talked before about your thirty plus year second career as a member of the Canadian Armed Forces, and you retired in twenty fourteen at the rank of Brigadier General. That's a long way from that private you started out as. How did you merge those two areas together as you now help other leaders? Um, well, it's it's interesting, William. Um, being a Canadian, um, we have a very different view of our military, mm. uh, and so a lot of my a lot of my business career has not been about my military career. Don't talk okay. about it at all. Don't, interesting. Don't dare mention that. Uh, that's also a knee jerk reaction because most of my military career was as a reservist. So, okay. uh, so when I was, uh, when I was at work, do you talk about how tired you are on the Monday morning after being on exercise all weekend? <laughs> boss goes, are you really working for me or are you working for somebody else? And, yeah. and so, so there, there is a bit of a knee jerk reaction there, but uh, so, but there are some elements um, that the military gets right. And there's some elements that the military gets wrong as well. Yeah. Um and and but the clarity clarity is the most important thing that the military gets right. Mm. That clarity of mission, that's clarity of role, mm. that's clarity of who supports whom. That's good, right? That's that's what the military really gets gets well get and does well. Mm. Um, and 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 it's you know the uh, a lot of the business constructs, for mm. example empowerment as a, you know from almost two decades ago now well I guess it's more than two decades ago now is actually it came out of the military hmm. Hmm. And, uh, and 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 I'm just using that as a, as a simple example uh, but so a lot of a lot of those ideas have have come from the military in some form or another um, and I think it's probably because of the American military rather than the Canadian military, because we're too busy being apologetic about it. That's, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you know, one of the one of the, the things that stands out in what you said there is the clarity and how that how the military gets that right. One of the things that that I often use with with leaders, with teams that I've worked with is is the importance of the simple question, who is doing what by when? And we, and we drive that so hard and so deep and it's so simple 
And it's not original with me, of course, but that's clarity. And I, and I imagine that in your military career, as well as your business career, like that type of clarity is what you're aiming at all the time. It is. And uh, and I think that's probably what, what I bring forward and what we bring forward here at Forest is the nature of role clarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, who does what mm-hmm. is, is the element of accountability. Yeah. But it's unfair if you're going to hold someone accountable, apply mm-hmm. either good consequences or bad consequences, mm-hmm. if you don't define authority. Mm-hmm. And it's dangerous if you give someone authority without any accountability Mm. just as much as it's unfair to give someone an accountability without authority. So role clarity for us is a critical part of our business. Mm. And we're finding it more and more in the, if we can call it the post COVID era, Mm -hmm. I just say that because I think it should be the post COVID era, but right. (laughs) Whether it is or not is another thing entirely, but organizations need to have that role clarity because people are tripping over each other. They're having meetings after meetings, trying to figure out whose decision is it anyway. And all of these sort of things are happening out there. Mm. And what we need is we need to pause and clarify the work. Who does what by when? Uh, A very simple framework that comes from uh, the work of Dr. Elliot Jacks is instead of using a SMART goal tomorrow, use a QQTR. Hmm. Okay, so a QQTR is what is the quantity that I'm expecting? What is the quality that it has to be at? When does it need to be delivered? The time, the T, and what resources do you have to do it? Hmm. That gets to the heart of accountability because it's not telling you how to do it. It's telling you what you have to deliver. And then when the circumstances change, for example, COVID hits, you can adjust the QQTR. You adjust if COVID hits, we're gonna we're gonna decrease the quantity, decrease the quality, increase the time, increase the resources. We're doing better than planned. Do we increase the quality, increase the quantity, decrease the time, or decrease the resources? Mm. The point of QQTR though is, is that it is negotiated with the recipient, Hmm. but it's the manager that owns the QQTR Hmm. because they're the one that is going to say, yes, you can, I'm going to increase the quantity, increase the quality, decrease the time, decrease the resources or vice versa. It's a very powerful tool, but it's about getting to what by when and by whom is the accountability. Hmm. I love that. That's a fantastic tool. I hope our listeners are jotting this down because that's that's one you can take and use again, no matter your context, no matter what you're leading. Yes. Jillian, you're obviously one who has been a learner your entire life. Uh, every great leader that I talk to, that's true of. Is there a book that you would say, hey, you know, if 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 leaders are looking for their next good read, this one has made a significant impact in my journey? I would say. Uh, it's a little known. It's, it's a little known one. It's um, well, actually, it's probably not a little known. But um, for those that are struggling with an in, in, in a leadership role in an environment where it's tough right now, mm-hmm. read "Defeat into Victory" 
by Viscount Slim. Hmm. So Jim Slim uh, was another another fellow who started off as a private soldier in uh, the First World War, before the First World War, I guess. Anyway, he rose to being a, uh, uh, a field marshal in the end. Um, and it's about the little known Burma campaign when mm. the Japanese really had the British and, and Indian forces on their heels. And, and he had to take over a completely defeated, demoralized group of soldiers and rebuild them. Mm. And uh, which he did. And, and, uh, and it gets to the basics of what's important to human beings. And uh, he was very much a humanist, a very tough guy. There's no doubt about it. But it's about how do you turn something around when when people are have basically given up, and that's exactly what had happened. And of course, he was uh, you know, he was tremendously successful. Um, and uh, and and it's uh, it's a great study in the nature of human beings uh, mm. and the nature of how morale really impacts us. And of course, you have to extrapolate it from you know, Second World War Burma campaign mm-hmm. to, uh, to to modern day. But it is the nature of morale. How do mm-hmm. we feel inside? And as we go through the this, as I say, post-COVID era, we need to recognize that morale has changed. Yeah, that's so good. Thank you for that. That's brilliant. I'm I'm not familiar with that book. Now I want to check that one out. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> okay. As we're wrapping up, if if you could share one piece of advice with leaders who are listening to this today, uh, well, it, as as I you know as as I think about it, there's there's so many pieces. Um, I think it it does come back to being an enlightened leader. So be authentic, yeah. be yourself, yeah. be servant, know your people, and promote their welfare, and recognize that everything that you're doing is about transforming, mm. is being that catalyst yeah. that transforms. Yeah. people and organizations that's so good um just as a as a sidebar to that uh, what we ask every leader to do mm-hmm. in our high potential leadership training program at forest and company is to define who am i why am i here and what am i trying to build and that mm. becomes their story that becomes their brand that's brilliant and it provides an insane level of clarity it does Absolutely. <laughs> I know our listeners are going to want to stay connected with you, Julie. What is the best way for them to do that? Well, uh, from my from the standpoint of my book, managerialleadershipjourney.com, it's available on uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you know, all, all sort of online retailers. And then uh, Forest & Company is the name of our company. Forest as in the trees, but with two R's. And so our website is Forest, A-N-D-C-O, so forestandco.com. And please feel free to reach out on either one. And as I said, there's downloadable uh, elements of the book at the book's website, managerialleadership.com. So uh, so start, start your reflection early. Well, I'm going to be picking up a copy of your book, and I'm encouraging all of our listeners to do the same. This has been so helpful and practical today. And I'm incredibly grateful for your generosity in sharing so much from your own journey and the wisdom and insights that you've accumulated along the way. Thank you, Julian. Well, thank you, William. As you can probably tell, I'm blushing. But anyway, this has been a tremendous, a tremendous experience. Thanks so much for your time and, uh, and, and taking this on. So, so well done. 
Thanks for joining me for this episode today. As we wrap up, I have a couple of requests for you. I'd love for you to do two things. First, subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. And if you find value here, I'd love it if you would rate it and review it. That really does make a difference in helping other people to find this podcast. Second, if you don't have a copy of my newest book, Catalytic Leadership, I'd love to put a copy in your hands. If you go to catalyticleadershipbook.com, you can get a copy for free. Just pay the shipping so I can get it to you, and we'll get one right out. My goal is to put this into the hands of as many leaders as possible. This book captures principles that I've learned in 20-plus years of coaching leaders in the entrepreneurial space, in business, government, nonprofits, education, and the local church. You can always connect with me on LinkedIn to keep up with what I'm learning and thinking about. And if you're ready to take a next step with a coach who can help you to intentionally grow and thrive as a leader, I'd be honored to help you. Just go to catalyticleadership.net to book a call with me. And stay tuned for our next episode next week. Until then, as always, leaders, choose to be catalytic. Thanks for listening to Catalytic Leadership with Dr. William Attaway. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss the next episode. Want more? Go to catalyticleadership.net.